guys, welcome to another State of the Nation. This is an edition where we talk about bringing NFTs to DeFi. This is a special edition as well because it's it's on site, on premise, at a conference. You're gonna get the full conference experience in this episode. What are we talking about today, David? Yeah, this is a live episode that we recorded at the Metaverso conference about bringing NFTs to DeFi, bringing DeFi to NFTs. What happens when these worlds collide? Uh, and I started off this, uh, this panel with just a very quick introduction. There's only two types of tokens out in the world. There's non-fungible tokens and there's fungible tokens. That's the whole entire category. Uh, That's and true so, in real life too, by the way. Yeah, it's real also true items. in real life. Yep. Yeah, you either got, fungible you got, or non-fungible. That's that's the only categories. Uh, but then there's the also there's the intersection of these things where the lines can start to blur, uh, and cool new things can be built out of that. And so this is a 35-minute panel that we recorded uh, with four guests from uh, around the cryptosphere. And those guests are Andy8052. You guys might remember him from a couple NFT shows that we've had. He is the founder of Fractional. There's, there's Ben Lackoff from Charged Particles, uh, Laura Jaramillo from Upshot, and Sam Cassatt from Neptune Dow. So those are the panelists. And we just talked all about the cool stuff that happens with when you intersect uh, ERC20 and ERC721. Guys, this is going to be a double level up for you today because it's not only a level up on the NFTs, it's also a level up on DeFi and this new thing, including where they both intersect. So it's a good opportunity to learn a bit more about liquidity into NFTs, number one. The second is how do you generate NFT communities using DeFi? Can you fractionalize NFTs? What does that look like? How does that guide in your investment decisions? And also, I think you guys are going to get into the one thing that all NFTs depend on and that is oracles. So a lot to unpack here. Hey guys, before we go too much further, want to let you know about MetaMask. MetaMask is uh, sponsoring this message. They want us to let you know that they are working hard on hardware support, okay? MetaMask plus Ledger, that's a combo I often use whenever I am using Web3. MetaMask, of course, is a fantastic Web3 and crypto wallet, uh, and they are improving integration with the Ledger. Also, MetaMask on the Lattice wallet is uh, really been amped up and actually newly released. Also the Keystone wallet, if you're using a Trezor, if you're using a Lattice, if you're using a Ledger, this is the way to get into crypto while using protection. You need that protection, the hardware protection that comes with owning custody of your own key, not having private keys inside of a browser. So MetaMask plus hardware wallets, a fantastic team up. Uh, and I would just encourage you, you probably have MetaMask. If you don't, go download MetaMask. If you don't have, if you already have MetaMask, then connect your hardware wallet to it and uh, try the experience out again. If there's been some bumps uh, along the way with Ledger and MetaMask support that some of you guys have experienced. They are working to improve that. And I think the latest firmware updates on the Ledger have improved that to a great de degree. So check that out. We'll include a link in the show notes. Uh, David, we're gonna talk about the panel itself and the content of the panel. But before we do, I want just a, a taste of the conference. Give me the conference experience, okay? Because here I am in my office all the time. I never come out of my office, right? I don't go I'm not places. Sure it's possible. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't know that for sure. But like, you know, one day you and I will meet at a conference in real life, one day soon, I promise. But until that time, for people who uh, don't have the opportunity, the time to go to a conference, what was the Metaverso conference like? Yeah, the Metaverso conference was a, a one-day conference, which uh, I think is the first one-day conference I've been to in a really, really long time. And I think everyone really, really appreciated that because this is also coming out on the heels of 
Art Basel, which was uh, a very long week in Miami, which was, uh, everyone was talking about how draining it was. But uh, Art Basel is uh, something that it happens every single year. I'm just learning about this because I didn't know about it. Big, big art, um, just uh, like decentralized convention of sorts. There's a many, many, di many uh, different venues and events just doing art stuff in Miami. Uh, and this year, it was the running joke that it's actually called Crypto Basel now because all the NFTs have taken over Art Basel. So everyone okay, so, was in Miami. Yep. So there's two conferences, right? There's two one. You, you went yeah. to two conferences in the space yep. of like the last seven days or so. One was yeah. Art Basel in Miami, mm -hmm. and the other is Metaverso in Puerto Rico. Yeah. The, the panel we have upcoming is, is from Metaverso. But uh, Art Basel, you're saying mm -hmm. this was an art conference before NFTs? Right. Totally. Okay. And the NFT people are now like invading it? Is it? What, so what's yeah. the feeling there? Yeah, so like I said, there, there is the one canonical like Art Basel at the Miami Convention Center on, on Miami and Miami Beach. And even that had NFT stuff in it as well, but not too much. All the all the other like events, just like uh, different just uh, in installations. There's a big installation on a beach that people would go see. And there's this one big piece of art uh, there. And people would hop around with all these different venues and events, just going to all just, just checking out all the art. And all of them were like NFT, had some sort of NFTs about them somehow, somewhere. Um, and the, the, the industry is in, uh, the art industry, not the NFT industry, is in some sort of like kind of in a state of uh, very much immaturity trying to figure out how to actually display NFTs. Uh, there's a lot of just kind of like amateurish NFT displays where like, you know, you had vertical NFTs being displayed on horizontal screens, so there are big Oof. black bars. There are TVs just on TV stands on tables yeah. rather than like as a frame on a wall. Yeah. Um, first year uh, though, it's going to get first better. First year, first year, yeah. You can't, you can't really, can't really uh, knock them too hard because this is brand new. It's just happened, um, but there's much to be desired with like in real life NFT displays, right? Like, how do we actually show these things? Yeah. Um, somebody that I saw uh, do it really, really well had NFTs projected up on a big, big wall. So this artist, this is uh, Nate Moeller, who's the, the artist that uh, I bought my NFTs for from forever ago. Uh, he was actually displaying those NFTs, two big projectors that were synced up. So like there, it just looked like one big thing and he had it blown up. It looked like, I think it was like 50 feet wide by 25 feet tall on wow. like this massive wall. And so those, that was really, really well done. But the art industry is like trying to figure out how to come to terms with appropriately displaying this very new format of like digital art with NFTs. Are uh, they cool with it? So, you know, in our podcast with Kevin Rose, he actually used the term, um, you know, trad art, mm -hmm. right? And I'm going to continue using that. So like, what does the trad art world think of this new NFT thing? Is there some resistance or is there a warm embrace like, hey, welcome to the family? This has given injected some new energy into the art mm -hmm. scene. What's the what's the feeling from Art Basel? I think the art collectors I don't think are too different from the typical distribution of crypto skeptics to non skeptics. They're not really any different. Like some people like crypto, some people don't. I don't think the art collectors are any meaningfully different than than the average person that you would get. Some people are again. Some people are think it's the future. Some people are totally skeptical. The artists love NFTs. <laughs> um, because specifically it's empowering uh, very very much so and and it's a new cohort of artists that are now able to play in art battle because of yeah. nfts yeah. so it's not really the the trad artist it's a new set of artists that have come into the, into the fold specifically because of nfts and then there are are specifically events being spun up that are just trying to be conducive to that type of art kind of the very very experimental very much on the fringe digital 
art that wouldn't have really had an opportunity elsewhere. Do you know what's so wild? I feel like this is a um, a microcosm of what's happening in every single industry, right? So you get like trad art, and then you have like this NFT thing, the crypto thing is kind of invading trad art a little bit. And I mean that in a good way, injecting new energy, creating this new medium, but it's not just art. It's like every industry, okay? This is happening in finance. This is happening in like entertainment, Hollywood, the movie industry. It's now like NFTs. This is happening in, in gaming. So I don't know how many conferences and conventions you, you intend to go to, David, but like you could go to them every week, all year around in all of the different industries and have crypto, NFTs, DeFi represented in some way or another. It's just really invading every single uh, aspect of like industry that's going on. Like we haven't even talked about music, right? I mean, I'm sure there's like music conferences and and, and festivals, NFTs are going to have a huge uh, prominent display. It was also interesting to see some of the platforms having like uh, just uh, cubicles or just like sections in these, uh, in these art venues, uh, uh, super rare had like just uh, i think they had something like 10 tvs up on a wall and when i say tvs uh, these are actually good like frames that are meant for displaying art uh and so super rare has this, this their own little section of this art display the mixed mixed with trad art uh and then super rare was also debuting of course they don't make art they host art so they were again hosting art but this time in real life rather than on their website uh so they had actual artists that they were that were also with them in the booths having their art displayed. And so it was kind of cool. It was like the, the real website of Super Rare just being manifested in this section of the art show in, in real life. I thought that was kind of cool. Hash masks, uh, hash masks were also there at the same place. Um, and there's a number of... Uh, it, it, there was one uh, venue that just looked like in real life OpenSea. It was kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, oh yeah, if OpenSea came and actually just like had a, a, an in real life installation, that this is what it would look like. All right, so tell me a little bit. Uh, that that was the Art Basel uh, conference experience. T tell tell us a little bit about Metaverso for people who couldn't attend. So how did that contrast? How it was different? I know mm -hmm. this is uh, this is hosted by somebody who's on Bankless previously, uh, G Money, who's mm -hmm. on a Layer Zero podcast. So uh, what was different about this one? Yeah, this was uh, a lot of people here were at Art Basel uh, and they had just hopped over uh, from Miami to Puerto Rico, but this cohort of people were a lot closer to the core of what I would call crypto. Uh, these are all the people that like get it and know that everyone else around them also The crypto gets natives, it. the NFT crypto natives. natives. This was sort of yeah. there. There was mm -hmm. no trad art scene in the, at the Metaverso conference then? Mm, uh, yes, correct. Yeah. So there were, there were, it was all digital displays uh, showing NFTs that, you know, all the NFT collectors love. Um, Serotonin and Mojito, uh, which are um, uh, a marketing and NFT advisory company, they were they were also helping set this up, and that's uh, Amanda Cassat and a few other also like crypto natives that have been with Consensus for forever and now are doing their own thing. So yeah, it's just a bunch of, of crypto natives, um, and then all the yeah all the sponsors that you would you would expect as well. Um, and, and again, it was just a one day thing and they did a very smart job of starting the conference at 11 rather than something crazy like eight. Yeah. Uh, so people could just like warm up their day and then get to the conference. Oh, that's way um, better. Yeah. It, it was just it was one stage with about 200 chairs, uh, about 400 people there. Uh, some people were inside, outside, uh, and just, just a, just a great, fantastic list of just topics and, and conversations. And it was just, what I really appreciated about it was how concentrated it was. It was like everyone could focus their energies just on one day. Uh, and because all of the good stuff was happening on that one day, everyone felt FOMO about like not watching uh, a panel 
Uh, yeah. So the panels were decently well attended. So uh, everyone was, was together. Cool. People weren't skipping panels, and it was only right. like 400 people or so. So mm-hmm. it was fairly small and intimate. Totally. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's and awesome. Just did, did a really good job. G Money. He's uh, pseudo anonymous. So if you like follow him on Twitter, he always has his uh, ape as his uh, like uh, VR filter. But yeah. in real life, like no, you, you he, he there's no <laughs> VR filter in real life. But he still goes right. by G Money. So if, if you ever meet G Money in real life, like he'll shake your hand and it's like, oh yeah, I'm G Money. But he still doesn't tell you his name. Um, uh, that's hilarious. That's great. Yeah. So, w- w- were there any takeaways from you from Metaversal Conference? My, my takeaways is that Puerto Rico is really, really cool. Yeah, yeah. Every, everyone really likes to be in Puerto Rico. It's a great spot to, to host a uh, host a conference, even if it's just a one day. Or it, it was very much. Uh, it made a ton of sense uh, to host it right in this present moment because it was right after our Basel. Half the uh, the industry was already like only two and a half hours away. Yeah. Um, uh, and it was just, it was everyone who cares deeply about NFTs for, for all the right reasons. Uh, there was a charity auction as well. So NFTs were being auctioned off to go to charity to support uh, Puerto Rico infrastructure, um, which is you know, still needed in the, in the wake of the, the hurricanes that happened last year. Um, and it, it was overall just a, a fantastic event. So t- tell me this, David, what do you get out of conferences that you don't get out of like like in-person conferences that you don't get from like all of the Zoom meetings and all of the, you know, YouTube and podcasts that people consume that in the Twitter back and forth banter and the Discord servers. What's different? Make the pitch for going to a conference. Why is it important? Yes. Well, first off, some people that are really, really cool and interesting just aren't there. Aren't They're not on Twitter. They're not on the Zoom meetings, right? And so it's really just a matter of having surface area to a lot of people all at once. You can go and meet five people inside of 30 minutes. Uh, and the probability of one or two of those people having like long-term relationships is pretty, pretty damn good. Uh, and, and so like it, there is no replacing real life. Uh, as much as we all want to live in the metaverse, uh, just seeing faces uh, and like, uh, and for those that are on crypto Twitter, like me and Ryan, like degenerately all the time, uh, meeting someone in real life actually does impact like how I read tweets when it's coming from somebody that I know. Uh, wow. and this is true. Just, this is true for, for emails and for, yeah. you know, uh, for podcasts, right? Just once, once you meet the person, um, you know, you, you just get a little bit, um, deeper, like more introspection as to like what they are actually thinking about when, when they, when they write stuff and, and show stuff. So it's important uh, for like community cohesion and like you're actually right. able to form a different type of connection in person versus, versus all of the digital mediums that we use. Totally. Totally. And ideas can be shared just a lot faster. Um, just communication is a lot more lubricated. I don't know if you watched our, the state of the nation I did with Robbie in real life at NFT NYC. But having Robbie right next to me, the conversation was really fast and it moved really, really quickly because I could look at him, he could look at me, there was body yeah. language. And like we forget about these things on, definitely on Twitter and even on Zoom, like you just kind of don't really get that. You and I, we don't have that problem because we've been on Zoom like Well, I don't hours. know, how good could it be if like I, we were doing this oh, in man. person? What a question. I mean, yeah, maybe we'd be number one of the podcast charts <laughs> rather than number four in the Apple <laughs> investing category. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's just like everything just happens faster. Uh, and so for, for people like me that really also have just like fantastic enriching social experiences for the uh, experiences from these events, just the just more socialization per second. Uh, and so yeah, you, there's just more alpha. There's more people can just say things that they're interested in at a higher tick rate. 
more more yeah, more opportunities more alpha better connections guys that that is your pitch and i i feel like that pitch is coming from david to me of why i should attend a conference in 2022 but we're we're coming at this the end is of why the ryan year, just sends me he's like you, you got to it <laughs> like, i get all the benefit because david just does all of this but yeah. you know uh yeah absolutely guys so if you're if you're looking at conference 2022 schedule there's a lot of great crypto conferences coming up so um, budget some time, plan some time to meet the people that you see in the digital world in real life. It's definitely, definitely worth it. And uh, David, next year is the year you and I will meet in real life. So uh, at one of these conferences at some point or another. But okay, let's talk about your panel now because we got to the point where we're going to intro this. This is really cool. So the combo of DeFi plus NFTs equals magic. I guess that's what you're talking about on the panel. So what? Uh, why should folks stay tuned to this panel? What are you guys talking about? Yeah, there, there's a number of uh, quick conversations that we had. And the, really, the format of this is just, I proposed a question, posed a topic, and just let the panelists take it down the line. Each one had their opportunity to share. Sometimes they built off of each other, but sometimes they just uh, gave their thoughts. Um, there are really important conversations with uh, for example, Fidenzas, very highly valued art block NFTs with relatively low volume, like weeks can go by without a Fidenza sale. And so as collateral in DeFi or integrating ERC-721s into applications you, that are, if you want to use the, the, the capital that's locked inside of a Fidenza, you need to have a secure and accurate price feed that the market can rely on. And so like, how do you get a price feed for something that has one sale per week and it's perhaps it's a floor. How does that even actually re relate to a rare uh, Fidenza rather than a floor Fidenza? Uh, so like solving that problem is, is hard, uh, but definitely possible. Um, I th if you want to skip to the end and just like come to the conclusion, the answer is there is no good way to do this. You have to do all of them and then combine them, which is a problem in of itself. Um, uh, the other really important uh, thing I think is really, really cool about NFTs that we're, wa we're definitely watching it happen right now, but it, we, I think it really could supercharge people that really want to lean into this, is that a fractionalized NFT can make a community. And we're already mm -hmm. seeing this with PleaserDAO. Uh, PleaserDAO, they bought the, the OG Doge meme for $2.4 million. Uh, and it's the, it's the meme of the internet. Uh, Jameis from PleaserDAO likes to say it's the Mona Lisa of the internet. How like it's the doge, like it is the internet's <laughs> meme. And so like there's only one of those and PleaserDAO owns it, but it's the internet's meme. And so they have used fractional to fractionalize it into the dog currency. So the dog token is backed by the doge NFT and now everyone can have a share of the doge. And now Do there's a fantastic discord and DAO spun up around the dog token because it's a part of the Doge NFT. Well, what's super interesting about that is just like economically, we talk about value creation. So they bought the the Doge NFT for 2.5 million, as we said, mm -hmm. somewhere in that ballpark, yeah. mm -hmm. right? Okay, then they tokenized it, fractionalized it, and the dog token is worth, I'm just looking at Coin uh, Gecko, 50 million, right? Right, right. So it's mm -hmm. like, that's a 20, you know, 20X in terms of increased value creation, right? And people might debate, is that, you know, is this a meme token? Is this value? What is this real value? Definitely creation? a meme token. <laughs> but I mean, you can measure the value that was created uh, from from the DeFi markets. So uh, I'm I haven't watched this panel, David. I'm really excited to to dig into it because what's cool about NFTs is, of course, when when paired with DeFi, they inherit all of DeFi's superpowers. All right, traditional art doesn't get any of this, which is why I'm like kind of bearish traditional art relative to NFTs in the same way I'm bearish gold relative to like crypto assets like ETH and Bitcoin, right? 
because there's so much more you can do with it. And uh, it, it's just gonna give all of these NFTs superpowers. David, before we get into this, is there anything else you want to mention? Yeah, so in, in kind of in the same vein as fractionalizing the Doge NFT, PleaserDAO is also launching free Ross DAO, uh, freerossdao.com. So definitely check that out. It's the Constitution DAO, but instead of buying the Constitution, they're buying Ross Ulbricht's NFTs that he's issuing from jail. Um, the, the money that is, is going to free Ross DAO to, to purchase his NFTs, the money that uh, the purchase will go to is to a combination of actually trying to free Ross uh, and then also donating to funds that help uh, loved ones visit, uh, visit their other loved ones in jail. Uh, and so freerouteDOS.com, uh, it's again, kind of the same thing as a fractionalized Doge, but instead of uh, Pleaser DAO buying this NFT and then fractionalizing it, they are spinning up the DAO and just donating their capital into the DAO. Uh, and so this is again, Constitution DAO for freerossdao.com. Uh, if you're interested in helping Ross get free, uh, maybe you are interested in taking part in a, the fractionalization of the, the Ross Ulbricht NFT if Free Ross DAO buys it from Ross. So the experiments are getting weirder, but the experiments are also getting better. So uh, stay tuned to this panel, guys. You will find out what is next with the combination of NFTs and DeFi from the following experts. We want to get right to the content. So we're just doing a quick sponsor rundown for you. These are the sponsors that made this episode possible. Go check them out. Fantastic sponsors on Bankless all of the time. Uniswap, apply for a grant. Uniswap DAO. Ave, get a loan without a bank. The Bankless way. We also have Lido, where you can stake your ETH and get ST ETH in return, which accrues more ETH because that's how staking works. And of course, we have Gemini, which is the exchange that I recently bought the dip on, and that buy feels great. So buy your dips on Gemini. Thanks to the sponsors that made this episode possible. You guys rock. All right. Thanks, everyone, for being here. Uh, this is actually going to be the first ever live podcast in England, so that's uh, pretty exciting. Uh, and of course, just to recap, this is about the intersection of NFTs and DeFi. And to really get that started, I just kind of want to put the, this frame into, into people's minds as they think about this. Really, there's only two types of tokens on Ethereum. There's ERC-20s, and then there's ERC-721s. That's kind of, it's more than that, but that's really just the gist of it. And that's what you get there. You got ERC-20s, the fungible tokens, which are DeFi, and then you have the non-fungible tokens, which are uh, NFTs. Uh, and so when you put those things together, that's the whole thing. And so what happens when we talk about the intersection of those two types of token standards? And that is what we will be unpacking today on this panel. Uh, and so I want to uh, introduce all of our panelists. Uh, if you guys want to just give uh, your introduction and a quick elevator pitch as to what you do and your company, uh, we will start with Andy here. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm Andy. Uh, I co-founded Fractional, which does NFT fractionalization. Very underdosed in the name. Um, but yeah, I've been working in crypto and DeFi for a long time. I'm super excited to be here. Awesome. Hi. Uh, my name is uh, Laura Hadamino. I'm the lead product designer at Upshot. We do real time on chain NFT appraisals using peer prediction and machine learning and accurate price prediction once and for all. Hey guys, Ben Langon. Simon Bader, uh, co-founder and business lead at Charge Particles. So we are an NFT protocol that enables you to get a smart wallet to your NFTs and enabling to hit to other assets. Hi, uh, my name is Sam Cassett. I've been around for a long time. A lot of you know me probably as Chief Strategy Officer of Consensus, where I funded a lot of stuff like Drupal and Vera Metamask. Uh, I was around that since the beginning. Um, fast forward a few years. 
Now I'm doing a number of things. I'm the founder of a company called Aligned. Uh, we uh, in concert with the Neptune now, which I helped create. We provide liquidity to DeFi applications and sometimes things related to NFTs and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, I'll be talking about soon. Uh, all right, so let's go ahead and dive right into this. Uh, so just let's get really, really grounded here. Uh, we have DeFi, that thing is pretty damn robust. NFTs are still pretty new, but also extremely big. Uh, and the cool thing about crypto is it goes in all directions at once. And it really seems to be that the intersection of DeFi and NFTs is kind of like the, one of the last areas that as an industry we really haven't tapped into yet. So when we open up the door and look behind the intersection of DeFi and NFTs, how big is this? Why does this matter? Is there something actually here? Like, let's talk about the potential of what happens when we actually combine these things. Very broad, open-ended question. And once again, Andy, let's start with you. All right, yeah, I think what's interesting here is there's like, there's a lot of real-world assets that we do, like kind of DeFi stuff in the real world with, like digging out a mortgage on your house or different things like that. And you can like map all of that really easily to like NFTs and DeFi with NFTs. But what's really exciting is it kind of unlocks this world where you can do that with any asset in the entire world. And so not to like sound too bullish or anything, but it's kind of like the addressable market is every asset in the entire world that's worth doing DeFi with, uh, which I think is really, really exciting. It's just like unlocking opportunities for a lot of new people and new users and stuff like that. Yeah, I need to build off that. The potential to tokenize literally anything in the world is like astonishing for implications of like NMTs and DeFi. The biggest issue right now is like how illiquid these things are. The fact that we don't have any accurate price prediction. The fact that like it doesn't matter if I you know, get my house on OpenSea if I don't have accurate price prediction for that. There's no way that I can leverage it against anything. So especially like what we're working towards at Upshot. Kind of market us as, as the intersection of NFTs and DeFi because we're building that foundational element, which is that accurate, real time, updating every 10 minutes price feed on literally every NFT. Suddenly, things like, I don't know, synthetics <laughs> become possible. Take like underwriting and underwriting your debt with NFTs becomes possible with accurate price prediction and price feed. So, I'm, I'm extremely, extremely bullish on this new asset class and this new world, but that, that is the foundational element that's missing, and it's around the corner, so. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, a lot of great points, but I, I, I think segmenting these things into this is the NFT world and this is the DeFi world, even within NFTs themselves, like DeFi itself, there's so many sub-categories and sub-sections of each of those. So. Eventually, all of these things kind of meld into one big crypto space. The metaverse is surrounded by NFTs everywhere, and those NFTs will have DeFi-esque aspects. You will have structured products that are containerized within an NFT, and it just makes sense because that whole thing is moving around. So we'll, we'll continue to see like melding and the, the intersection of all of these new and innovative ways. And we're just really beginning to scratch the surface of both things together, both individually. Agreed. Uh, yeah, I think at a at a conference like this, a lot of what we think about as NFTs are kind of like punks and apes and profile pictures and things like that. But I think to take a step back, 
NFT just means non-fungible token, right? It's, it's a thing. It's a thing that's a unique digital object instead of a bunch of objects like a, like a stock or something. It's just a unique thing, right? And that can represent almost anything. We're starting to see experiments in that. Some people have tried it with like real property. It's a little bit hard to link it to real property, like houses. We can imagine how something like the title to a house could be an NFT. Um, it can also be linked to access, right? So Uniswap V3, the thing that represents your liquidity that you provided to the Uniswap exchange is an NFT. Some poor gentleman accidentally stole it because he thought it was a present that he got from uh, from Uniswap. But like, if you think about it like that, all we know, you know, we have this object, and that object can represent almost anything, right? You could lock other objects inside of it. You could use it like a derivative or other, you know, a collection of other NFTs or a collection of other fungible assets is linked to that, um, and that thing can be traded. And you can almost imagine the hierarchical structures that exist in normal finance. We can do that in times a thousand algorithmically because we have these two structures together. It's just something for fungible and something for non-fungible. So um, there's a ton of intersection to it. I think there's a lot farther we have to go in the field because frankly, on like Ethereum L1, gas is too expensive to move around a thing that costs a dollar or even ten dollars or whatever, right? So, you know, I'll, I'll stop there. But we have, you know, fractionalization, lending, et cetera. There's a lot of applications over early. Uh, so for the next question, I actually want Andy to go last. So Sam, I'm going to start with you. Uh, uh, NFTs and DeFi, isn't it just this is a devil's advocate question? Isn't it just as simple as putting an ERC20 token inside of a contract that spits out an ERC20 token? Isn't that the whole story? Is this really that big of a deal? Uh, <laughs> I, or, or is there more to unpack? Like, what other things are involved with the intersection of DeFi of NFTs? Why is it more more than just fractionalizing ERC-721 tokens. Right, uh, I agree. So I, so I think there are lots of things that are not just fractionalizing, right? So there's something, you know, for instance, using it as collateral, right? There are, there's also kind of gradations, right? We say 721 and uh, ERC-20, but actually there's 1155, right? Which is sort of somewhere in between, where there's a series of cards. So imagine one of the biggest applications of DeFi and NFTs is a gate in the metaverse, right? And so the met metaverse, we are now in the metaverse, right? You can imagine an entire multi-trillion dollar economy, as big as the existing economy, of things that are like semi-fungible and that you might want to use as representing their underlying financial reality, right? You might want to lend against them, I want to sell them in a series, I might want to do lots of things that look like normal financial activity. And so now I don't think it's just um, sticking in ERC20 inside of something else. It's just they're, they're logically separate. In fact, there are conditions between. Yeah, so DeFi meets NFT, right? So financialization, fractionalization, this is a big one. Using as collateral, you can also permissions, like in a trustless way, lend your NFT, so renting, um, renting versus lending. Uh, but yeah, the ability to have an NFT hold other assets, then use that basket as collateral, uh, use that basket as a trust account transfer it to somebody. You have multiple of these baskets kind of as sub-accounts within your wallet, your address. Um, this opens up a lot of opportunities and abilities. Then if you take it down to like the most basic thing you could possibly do, um, you know, right now creating synthetics on existing NFTs is something that's around the corner as well. So suddenly you don't have to necessarily own this entire NFT to like 
benefit from its evaluation of the market. You'd be able to hold a kind of arbitrary position in any NFT that you see value in over time. And I recommend seeing like a bit on it or wage on it. But <laughs> access, access to all of these different beautiful exotic mechanisms through synthetics is also going to be like a beautiful new sort of new horizon and bring accessibility to the space as well, which is one of the biggest the biggest lacking points right now. Yeah, I think too something that is interesting when you think about like using DeFi with NFTs is not to flood my own bags in my company, but like I don't think everyone always wants to fractionalize every NFT to use it in DeFi. But like just because you fractionalize an NFT doesn't mean it's immediately liquid. It doesn't mean that there's hundred million dollars of liquidity on Uniswap to use that as like a price oracle to do all these other things. And so I think that we really need like just new creators and builders in the space thinking about unique and novel ways to kind of port some of the things that we've done in DeFi into like an NFT world where like lending with NFTs and borrowing against your NFT probably was not look the same. It's not just fractionalize your NFT and borrow against those fractions. It doesn't really make sense to spend a long time trying to map that all out. But like maybe you borrow against your NFT and if you get liquidated then it's fractionalized and you like pay off the liquidation the fractions and you keep some fractions. And you can like start to build like more interesting, more NFT centric DeFi stuff that I think is really where this all has to go to see significantly larger adoption and kind of like meet NFT collectors and users and buyers where they are. Yeah, and I think it's important, I mean, we've mentioned it a few times, but we are early and there are like core infrastructural issues. Like, you know, it's very tough to do these things with a very small amount. And yeah, there's layers and it's another more cheaper uh, layer ones, perhaps. But like, it is early, so it's the early innings. There's regulatory uncertainty. So it's very difficult to just, this is the innovation sandbox and we'll go crazy and build these crazy things that we can dream up because there are more archaic laws and things that we have to play with. So let's talk about liquidity, because if there's one thing that DeFi is really, really good at, it's liquidity. Uh, Uniswap V3, fantastically liquid on just not a ton of capital. Uh, and then things like Compound and Aave are just another forms of liquidity. Uh, on the other side of things, ERC-721s, NFTs, are inherently illiquid. That's the uh, unique nature of these things is that the fewer the, the number of them are, it's the harder it is to have a market. Uh, so let's, let's talk about how DeFi can actually aid the NFT side of Ethereum and broader crypto in accessing more and more liquidity and what that can really do for bringing out the best of NFTs. Andy, why, why, do, we, why do NFTs need liquidity so badly? How can DeFi help? Yeah, well, so I think, like, kind of going back to a lot of the DeFi stuff, like a lot, most DeFi primitives, to a certain extent, require liquidity to price things or liquidate things or do a million other different things. Uh, and what I'm excited about is thinking about potentially interesting ways to do that with order books and different ways to really be able to gauge interest and demand for a particular NFT and a lot of different stuff like that. And I don't think we totally know what it looks like yet. Like, I, I don't think that it's as simple as just, oh, Uniswap AMM but for NFTs. Or, and I think like you can do that to a certain extent with something like NFTX or the different pools that are like pulling together like floor level pumps or different things like that. Um, but I, I think we'll need to see some level of innovation on the order book and the demand side of NFTs in general. Um, and it probably, like I know uh, there's some interesting stuff. I know the uh, Zero X Montes guy 
uh, is working on something called uh, pseudo-swap, and he's working on like an NFT agreement on top of that. And there's interesting stuff happening in that space, and I'm really excited to see that play out. And I think that you can like kind of tie in a lot of the things that we're all working on into helping to make them more liquid in those types of models. Yeah, I mean, we're, um, it's really interesting you bring up the, the order book situation. Something that um, we're working on at Upshot, which is the alpha of all alphas, and this doesn't leave here, or it does, I guess, most of all, very close, but <laughs> on our, like, on, like, the foundation of these appraisals and having these accurate prices that we can all agree on, because it's done on chain, it is like literally, I don't know, just decentralized appraisals, decentralized price points, undisputed. Suddenly those order books have a price. <laughs> Suddenly there's a, there is a world where you'd be able to go onto a marketplace, onto a platform, and sell your NFT for whatever the appraised price point is for this specific NFT, not listed at floor price, not listed below floor price, and hope that someone bites. You know that there are people out there that see the potential of these assets and go, whatever it is, whatever the appraised price for this is, I want it. And for you to be able to buy that in return as well, to be able to see when something is like listed below the appraised price and capture that moment. Like right now, we're, we're just sort of guessing on a market, guessing in a bubble, hopefully not a bubble, but it feels a little like a bubble without that source of truth. So I, um, yeah, I mean, it's there, and the sky's the limit. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I mean, I also agree. There, I do agree that. Like, you can't just take these models that work in DeFi with fungible tokens all the time. To tokens are interchangeable, it doesn't matter if I have this one or that one. With non-fungible tokens, which by definition are unique, they're not fungible. So, you know, like, like Andy said, you can't just do the Uniswap for NFTs. It doesn't quite work like that. So we are, and people are experimenting and playing around. And uh, there are four structural issues like pricing that are difficult, but it, at the end of the day, it is a nascent market. There are inefficiencies in all, all nascent early markets, and these things just kind of are arbitrage away. People come in as speculators and stay because there's a lot more going on, and, and that's just kind of part of it. Yeah, I agree. I, I think just to go back again to like the generality here, right? Like, ERC721 can be anything, it can be a house, it can be my shoe, whatever. Like, what is an order work for my shoe? Doesn't make sense, right? There's there's going to be different different idiosyncratic different idiosyncratic ways that, that you might want to sell or provide liquidity to the thing depending on what it is, right? And like different kinds of stuff have different amounts of liquidity. Apartments in New York have liquidity, kind of, but the interface of that, the order book of that is a MLS system that's available that are very nice and show it to you. You know the um, you know the liquidity of a house here is also very good now, but you know, some ways it might not be. Um, you know, liquidity of your profile picture NFT, maybe not so much, but like, you know, Neptune DAO, for instance, we, that's something we've talked to a lot of groups about, like, I've got a really valuable punk or something, like, we went against it, right? So, you know, what is an order look like, like for that thing? We basically need to recreate the financial system again in a way that's programmatized and hopefully better and more efficient, but it's gonna, gotta be completely idiosyncratic depending on what the asset is and how we get it. What about in the metaverse, right? What if I've got, there are 5,000 of these shields in this game, and there's only, you know, there's 20,000 people who might want one. That, I can imagine what that order book might look like, right? So it's, it's about discrimination, it's about the idiosyncrasies. And just, the point of what I'm saying is, I'm trying to think about it generally as like, 
something that can represent any asset and then back into the answer. So continuing on this uh, conversation about how to value an NFT when it doesn't really behave in the same way as an ERC-20 uh, token, uh, and especially like some art blocks, for example, Fidenzas, Ringers, there, there can be weeks that go by before a sale happens. But those sales are still big sales, right? And Fidenza will still go for hundreds of ETH. And just because a week goes by without a sale happens doesn't mean that there isn't demand for these things. Uh, they, they can be plenty liquid even with, with low sales. So that brings us to the conversation of how do we appraise these things? How do we value these things when there isn't like a Uniswap market for these things possibly trading? Uh, so Laura, I want to ask you this question since this has to do with Uptrack. We'll start with you. Uh, let's talk about the, the oracles, the combination of oracles and NFTs rather than on-chain markets with NFTs. How can, how can we use alternative methods to discover the values of these NFTs that can be turned into an oracle for the rest of DeFi to tap into in a secure manner? So the way that we've been going about it at Upshot is using a new form of mechanism called peer prediction, where you're essentially, you ask a bunch of experts, somebody you validate based on their ability, right? If you, you want like 100 punks, you probably, <laughs> um, the process is asking experts a bunch of A-B questions, essentially, which NFT is more valuable, A or B, A or B. Um, all of those answers go through a correlation, like a new type of mechanism design, that comes out with an honesty score for each appraiser and then pulls the value one way or another. So it isn't it isn't it isn't like one person saying that this is worth 308 and that's it and I'm an expert. It's like hundreds of thousands of people pulling that price one way or another and then using machine learning to automatically update that constantly. So you have this like this like human element feeding into machine learning, feeding back to the human element. The one piece that's missing and I think that is um, going to be the game changers in this is finding a way to track that community element and finding a way to track that like like that utility component because right now you can't necessarily spit utility into machine learning and they say that's valuable right but there is a way to look at a community look at the discord server look at who's involved in a project bring all these factors together and come to a conclusion that yeah this is this is probably the beginning of something big and then using pure prediction machine learning to pull that value to a price point and keep it going relative to each other, relative to the collection. So that's 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 the way that we're going about it. It's also because it's an on-chain protocol, it's something you can dispute, you can fork it, you can add and agree with that, try it yourself. Um, I think that's one of the another very important aspect of this is that there should not be one governing human that says like this is this is truth. If you should say I think this is truth and you can figure out if you think this is truth as well. That's way more decentralized, way more for Web3. Um, but right now, we're spitting out price predictions for like the top 200 <laughs> NFT collections every 10 minutes. Um, and I'm, I'm so excited to like bring that to the world. <laughs> One of the things that I'm excited about is like being able to combine that with a lot of other on-chain stuff as well. It's something that I think about a lot for fractional and like ways that we can basically help our users who are buying a particular Fidenza or something have a significantly more informed decision. Or basically be able to even plug into automated things and say, once the like once the appraisal on Upshot is 10% higher than the current price, like, fraction of price of this thing, I want to be higher up until 5% higher, or different things like that. Um, and we've also been thinking a lot about how fractions can like potentially help a lot more with pricing these things. And there's a lot of challenges because even 
relatively rare for them to the entire valuation of it is still a couple million dollars. It's not like they're going to get some insanely liquid market for this one individual piece. But what we've been thinking about a lot lately is potentially like having ongoing auctions for percentages of it, and so you can then like kind of imply what the price is and say like, okay, if we were to auction off one percent ownership of Fidenza and someone's willing to pay one Ethereum for it, this is probably worth around a hundred Ethereum. And if you like do that on a long enough like time horizon, you know, like based on you say, okay, over the ten days when one percent was auctioned in August, they went for between one Ethereum and two Ethereum, so Fidenza at that time was worth one and a half Ethereum or something along those lines. I'm really excited to start experimenting more kind of in that side of things where as a protocol you have a lot more control over the supply and how people are buying and interacting and trying to infer price on that. I think it's important with, with the pricing aspect of the NFTs. I mean, we keep going back to this, but NFTs are so broad. The utility value varies by person. So if I'm a gamer, getting an in-game item NFT to me might have a lot more value to versus a non-gamer, or if I enter a metaverse real estate board and I want to buy up a whole pot, like, that has a different value to me versus somebody who doesn't play in metaverse. And then as we continue to add a layer in the utility value, so I can rent off my land plot in the, in the metaverse, I can rent off this in-game asset uh, to somebody else, I can rent my PFP a pump to somebody that wants to go to a pump's only party. Like, this changes the value of these things drastically. For me, I don't have a pump, but if I do, I know who's renting it, then that adds value to me a bit because I can monetize it and I can rent it out. But to somebody that owns a pump and doesn't want to rent it, does it diminish the value because then the guy that rented it to come to a party? So all of these additional utilities also impact pricing significantly in kind of ways that we haven't really fully thought out or will continue continue to play and think out. But um, looking at like other more illiquid alternative asset markets like art or real estate, these all have varying levels of liquidity and pricing, even though kind of a transaction happens more infrequently than like, the liquid public markets. Yeah, I mean perfect liquidity and perfect price discovery would be the holy grail of all markets, right? It's gonna have to be different depending on what asset it is. Right, in a future where you have an NFT that's actually a roll-up to 5,000 other NFTs and 25 of them are priced by Moody's or rated by Moody's and some of them are rated by Moody's 2050 or whatever the next, you know, like Upshot is, you know, as Upshot evolves into stuff that, you know, is, is going to replace those dinosaurs like that. Right, we're going to have so many different pricing mechanisms and hopefully it will be on-chain algorithmic and much more efficient and we don't have things like you know, 2008 happened because actually it's more transparent. Let's, let's pull up inside ten different layers of this thing. But yes, price discovery would be great. I think we need a whole bunch of effort uh, in each particular asset class, how to do it, standards will evolve to the point hopefully better than we have in the normal financial system as well. I want to bring up the topic of community here because I think if there's one thing that we've learned that's a universal truth with crypto, if it doesn't have a community, it's not going to make it. Uh, and one of the reasons probably why, why punks made it through the bear market was that is because the Discord was a fun place to be in the bear market as a shared place of, of absorbing all the pain of downward prices over the first few years. Uh, and so I want to talk about like when we combine NFTs and, and DeFi, how can that be a tool for community generation? How can that be a community tool? Andy, start with you. Yeah, I think 
we've seen some really, really cool stuff recently with just random groups of people raising funds to buy stuff between like Constitution DAO and now we have the Free Ross DAO, which is really exciting. Uh, and, you know, while raising funds to participate in a DAO isn't like explicitly DeFi, it starts to really walk into that whole territory. Um, and I think, in general, the ability for communities that are built around particular NFTs or different groups to also turn it into like this monetary tool where they're able to build their own micro-economies and do all this stuff inside of their shared interest group is just like really, really interesting and exciting. And I think it has the potential also to help a lot of people who like otherwise cannot do this in either the country they live in or the type of assets that they're able to own and all that. Um, and so yeah, I have a feeling we're gonna continue to see just like a ton more of these just random cows coming up by and stuff. And there's people like defying their smaller communities and assets that they own. Shout out freerossdow.com. It's constitution down for Ross Wolfram's NFT. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, thinking about the implications of like what you can do with NFTs and community building, like, just, just to take it to the music industry for a second, like, being able to track your fan base and their interactions with your work, with your NFTs, with your music, with your concerts, all on chain, suddenly you have like a way more personalized way of like communicating with these fans, figuring out who they are, where they are, what they're doing. That adds so much value suddenly, not only to every single output of like a creator's world, but also value to that community of being a part of it. And having these like NFT passports suddenly that bring you into this world. Um, at FWB, we like to say that like access is better than value. Like, what what world are you unlocking um, with these NFTs? Uh, <laughs> I've been throwing around uh, the idea of starting like a like an activism down for Puerto Rico and using NFTs as a way to crowdfund for specific initiatives. And yes, like yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> And then, you know, like, honestly, just the NGO space, like, oh, wow, they got going. <laughs> like, I, it, the NMT is such a more accessible entry point for most people. It's such a beautiful way to rally people behind a cause. It, like, the NMT can be a ticket, it can be art, it can be whatever it is, but it is a unifying, limited asset. And at the end of the day, that, that is essentially a community. Everybody can be behind that, so. <laughs> We'll, we'll talk more about that later. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I mean, humans are social creatures, um, and this kind of virtual world is not something well that we're living in. It's nice to have like, this shared different uh, sense of community, and you know, we all have this PMP, and that makes us unique. We're all opting this token, and that's what brings us together. Or we have a group chat that spins up its own DAO like structure, and we're all part of this together. Um, so I think. But three in general really allows communities to be much more autonomous and distributed in all these unique, fun ways. Um, but then, like NFTs and DeFi, what we're doing with our articles, you can take this NFT that you own and love as part of your community, your hoarding, and then you can infuse it with DeFi, plugging into the Aave um, protocol underneath, bringing a little bit of fuel, all containerized within your hoarding, and then put Potentially, maybe that interest equates to something within the Discord because you've staked so much money into your hoarding. Like you're never going to sell. You have so much money locked into your game that it gives you a little extra um, something within that community. So the ability for these things to really 
together and you things to strengthen the community bond. something that I'm really looking forward to over the next couple years for sure. So I think something has happened that's pretty remarkable over the last few years, which is the merging of this like concept of sociality and brands and, and financial assets. And I think it's a generational thing. And you know, if you look at the way that teenagers behave versus the way that my parents' generation behaves, for instance, um, financial financial interaction is a lot more like something that you care about online. Like look at obviously NFTs are an example, look at GameStop and the community around our credit, right? There's something democratizing happening, and there's something that is sort of not gonna make it we don't have the energy around it, but like Brands are realizing this right now. Brand, there's a reason why brands you know, work for brands are all over in the and stuff like that. Because they realize that if you're if you're an asset or you're a product or whatever, you don't have that social element to it. It wasn't possible before because we didn't have the the uh, social media to to be the administrative layer of that. We didn't have the ability to connect in that way. Maybe you go once a year to the shareholders meeting, see your buddy from the club or whatever. But now you've got people every day, all day, those things merge into what is an asset class, how much do I care about this asset? And I think as human minds evolve with uh, you know with, with phones in hand and these communities around them blur with what is a community and what's an asset, that's what we're seeing right now is going to become increasingly important in our hands. I got, I got one last thing to say, especially especially for artists. Like I think I think something that's missing from this conversation is like how an artist can incentivize secondary market action through their NFT collection. I think I think every artist should take a look at like the OG Crystals collection that you know that first mint is this tiny little geode and then programmatically inside the smart contract every time it every time it resells like another piece of that crystal grows out of it and suddenly like those crystals become more and more valuable and that floor crystal is suddenly more and more valuable and that encouraged resale that like daisy chain of people wanting to discover it's on the other side of that sale like that's something that doesn't necessarily to do with, with DeFi but it does have to do with like incentivized finance incentivized sales something that any artist can do get creative with your smart contracts contact the like, facility that you know and use that creative problem solving mind to play with it because there's so much potential beyond just like minting the piece you made last year like this is this is a new playground there are a lot of DJs and DeFi bros here, but getting artists in here, getting musicians in here, and tackling that landscape, which is the contract itself, I think is where we're going to see like the next genesis of these incredible financial tools that are beyond us trying to retrofit NFTs into into DeFi protocols, and instead building it into the contract itself. So go out there and send with that secondary ideas. <laughs> This conversation has been extremely engrossing, and I actually have no clue how much time we have left, so I'm just going to keep on going until someone stops me. <laughs> um, so, there's been a lot of use cases and a lot of potential that I think is a ton of fun here, and I think we're going to have too much fun when regulators come. Uh, and so, uh, let's start with Sam and work our way backwards. Uh, well, I would, what about the regulatory clarity or lack of clarity? It's kind of perhaps holding back the intersection of NFT fractionalization or the CP. Uh, the seeking up of DeFi and NFTs. Uh, what what uh, about the SEC or CFTC is relevant to this conversation, and what perhaps can we use as an industry to really help promote this industry go forward? Well, tough question. Um, so, 
I think what's relevant to answer that part of the question is there are two approaches that regulators seem to have to sort of like what's going on in the industry. There's either you take a bunch of laws that were written in the 1930s and you try to apply it to what we're doing now, or, and sometimes that does make sense actually, some things clearly that make sense. Or you look at the use of credit properties and what we're doing and say this is something we're going to do, maybe we should help something. There's always going to be a tension between those things, and the definitions are shifting around too. A pump seems like a piece of art. Pretty sure it's going to be treated like a piece of art, in my opinion. And some regulators don't agree with that. I don't really understand why, but like, yeah, but then there's something that may be an NFT, and then it does have properties that looks like something other than that can create law. And then what do you do? Um, so it's a blurry line, I think, to the extent that regulators provide clarity is the extent to which you know the United States or whatever jurisdiction we're talking about can excel in that domain. If you look at you know, the history of like consensus, for instance, and you know the beginnings of Ethereum, there's a reason why a lot of it was in jurisdictions that uh, you know that understood the technology, right? And so to the extent that our uh, our regulatory bodies understand the technology and look at it really closely, I think it's the extent to which your jurisdiction as a regulator uh, is going to excel. So I hope that we do that. Yeah, I, I would just give the broad caveat that none of those lawyers not legal about I guess I completely agree with all of these. These are laws that were written in the 1930s, 1940s. I mean, down with more than 100 members with no legal entity. It's a general partnership, and over 100 people, it's a security company in the 1940s security. So these are these are like serious issues, and even though I'm a big fan, like, I don't believe that these make sense, but like, they do, and they're real rules, and AML and things like that. These are real issues that you go to jail for a long, long time. So even though, like, I, I would encourage like innovators um, in the space to like find a lawyer that you trust, work with. These this is like an evolving, shifting sand of regulatory unknowns right now. It's pretty much gray, but like you can do things in a more structured, intelligent way and, and kind of shield yourself a little bit. But the key is like if you're operating within the space, you are taking some amount of so you have to know where that line in the sand is, how much risk you're going to take, because if you don't want to take any potential regulatory risks, like don't even launch anything, that's the unfortunate But um, it is very regulatory. Lawyers are in here killing right now. Most criminals that can only find the right language to say what you want to do and leave it out and leave You informed me. I agree, it's that it's uncharted territory, it's scary. Um, but slowly but surely, society's catching up. I think we're slowly figuring out like, what this is all about. We're extremely privileged to be in this room and have some sort of semblance of what this is. Most people in regulation have no idea what's going on. They're like, Bitcoin. This is all some sort of Bitcoin, isn't it? And it's absolutely not. Um, so if there are any policy makers out there who are listening to this podcast, <laughs> get vocal. Educate your peers, because as, as much as as much as we might like to keep the playground to ourselves, like things are getting too big, things are getting out of control, and we can't we can't do this in the shadows anymore. And it's better to have people who understand in there working on these regulations than all of us guys who think we want. Yeah, I'll echo what everyone said. Totally agree. I think 
in general, it's really hard and can be like scary to kind of fill this stuff in crypto in general because um, there's so little regulatory clarity in a lot of things. Um, a lot of the stuff with NFTs, like conversations around roadmaps and you know, token emissions and stuff, uh, it's, it's so new and so unknown. Uh, it feels a lot to me like in 2017, all the were coming out, and every single one was called security. Maybe some of them were, some of them weren't, we don't really know, but like, we still don't know. And it, it's just, it's a very frustrating thing, but like, I also understand like, the regulatory bodies that are doing this stuff are only so big and they have so many resources, and they're not all like crypto nerds incredibly deep in this, so we can't expect them to like see some weird new wolf game project that comes out, and then it will make me like, actually, you guys, that's good. That's good. And, and so it's just like, it's going to take a long time and a lot of work. Uh, definitely talk to lawyers super smart than I am. Uh, but yeah, it'll just take a long time. It sucks right now, but we'll figure it out. All right, guys, last question. Uh, let's uh, think about something that you personally would love to use in the intersection of DeFi and other NFTs. If you want to lend out your punk, you want to collateralize something, I don't know. But what use case could be built that is not built yet that you are looking forward to that will actually improve your personal lives? Real quick, we'll get that one in. Can you start with Okay, uh, I really want to use a lending protocol, like a MakerDAO style, with some kind of stable coin uh, that is like basically pegged to the floor price of a particular like, profile picture project or work, where you can basically borrow against that with some fixed floor price and not have to Come on, I want to. I want to make like a curated synthetics album. Like, like choose every NFT in the space that I think is going to make it, make it like Pinterest board, and then make a synthetic based on that, and give people like unlimited access to this thing. Like <laughs> bottom floor buying. That's that for me would be incredible. <laughs> Uh, I'd like to see somebody use charge particles to create a virtual geocaching in the metaverse. So you have the NFT that you buy, you put a bunch of interest bearing assets in it. Whoever finds it first just collects the interest and you don't have you don't sacrifice the principal. It's a cool way to engage people, get them to your property in the metaverse. Talk to me if you want to listen. I would like to have a way to uh Build essentially like a, a REIT of the metaverse and have it be run by really awesome people and invest in Awesome. Thank you guys so much for having me on the panel. I really appreciate it. And probably great. Thank you. A 3, 2, 1, make this. 3, 2, 1. Thank you. Hey, we hope you enjoyed the video. If you did, head over to Bankless HQ right now to develop your crypto investing skills and learn how to free yourself from banks and gain your financial independence. We recommend joining our daily newsletter, podcast, and community as a Bankless Premium subscriber to get the most out of your Bankless experience. You'll get access to our market analysis, our alpha leaks, and exclusive content, and even the Bankless token for airdrops, raffles, and unlocks. If you're interested in crypto, the Bankless community is where you want to be. 
click the link in the description to become a Bankless Premium subscriber today. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the channel for in-depth interviews with industry leaders, Ask Me Anythings, and weekly roll-ups where we summarize the week in crypto and other fantastic content. Thanks everyone for watching and being on the journey as we build out the Bankless Nation.